Welcome to this edition of Technology Forward. Today I'm here with John Koala, Chief Executive Officer at Boston Microfabrication. The company is a pioneer in a growing area of 3D printing, the microscale level, where parts are built with micron resolutions and tolerances. The company recently launched the MicroArch 3D printer for commercial use. Listen in as John discusses the markets and opportunities for 3D printing at this level of accuracy. So this idea of um, taking a, a 3D printing technology and really gearing it toward doing small, high-resolution, high-precision, high-accuracy parts uh, is an MIT idea. There's a professor there by the name of Nick Fang. Mm-hmm. He's been there for about 10 years. He's a mechanical engineering professor. And um, he uh, was working with uh, DLP-type technologies and high-precision optics and figured out a way to, to really push photopolymer 3D printing to a level that's, you know, at least today beyond the best of uh, FLA and, and uh, other DLP technologies. And um, so he started the company about three years ago, and his net, he's a Chinese-American professor. His network uh, and his friends and his uh, you know, best sources of capital, capital were in China. So they started, BMF was started in China in uh, late 2016, team was uh, built in Shenzhen, developed the platform, got out to first customers. We started shipping to first customers in 2019. So there's about 40 systems in the field, primarily in Asia. And then last summer, uh, I, I was with Ultimaker for about three years, and I left Ultimaker mm-hmm. about a year ago, and I was looking for something new to do. Mm-hmm. I was interested in earlier stage stuff. I was interested in, in industries that where I thought 3D printing could bring you know, even more value. And um, so I got involved with BMF, went to China a bunch of times over the summer, and then joined the company as CEO in September. And from a, so from a market point of view, what we really see is that there's a, a pretty large opportunity for, for small parts that 3D printing has really yet to, re, yet to be able to do well. So this is, you know, you hear a lot about um, probably the smallest parts out there in the industry that people talk a lot about are... Um, you know, jewelry, hearing aids, dental, those markets. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about we're talking about the market that the parts are smaller than that typically, and they're they require even a higher level of precision. So it tends to be electrical connectors, medical device, filtration, microfluidics, uh, MEMS, and from an overall point of view, what what we think is really exciting about this is those are parts. That, are, that today are very difficult to even prototype. So you were bringing a solution for those people. And then the manufacturing process to make those small parts, whether it's machining or molding, are typically much more expensive than, mm-hmm. than a standard injection mold. Mm-hmm. We're actually I'm here at uh, the MDM show in California this week, and there's a lot of medical, mm-hmm. a lot of micro-injection molding companies. So these are injection molds that are not $25,000. These are injection molds that are $250,000, um, and the parts are, you know, really small. And so that's, that's really the focus behind BMF. So, so is, is additive we, uh, used to create the molds, or is additive used to create nope. the parts themselves? Parts themselves. So for prototypes, okay. you know, one, is a minimum for prototyping, and two, to start to get into some production applications where we can match, match the plastic, you know, plastic requirements that they need that they're currently molding. So, so, uh, so we have a. Yeah, go ahead. 
Well, I was going to ask, so what are the, the specific capabilities of additive that make it so useful in this particular uh, application? Yes. Yes, yeah, so I said, so, so the key thing that's different from all the other 3D printing technologies, and it, it certainly has become a little bit more crowded space in the last four or five years, but um, is getting down to the level of resolution and feature size and accuracy uh, that that is required by those markets. So you, you go to a lot of companies who uh, make these parts, whether it's a medical device and electronics, and they, they've all tried SLA, they've all tried buying parts from Service Bureau, they, they all have a form lapse machine, um, and they just can't make the parts that they need. So even as a minimum for prototyping, they haven't been able to do that in the past. Uh, and then in production, it becomes a pretty interesting opportunity because a couple things are at play here. I mean, it, Leslie, you're probably have heard this many times over. Uh, you know, whether you're talking about uh, HP or Carbon or any of those other companies, it's always a comparison between 3D printing and injection molding. Mm -hmm. yeah. That uh, 3D printing is good for relatively low volumes, but you save the mold cost, you save the time. It's potentially a big benefit. And I think for, I would argue for most most parts in the industry that those companies are chasing. I think they've found that uh, it's economical for, you know, maybe single-digit thousands, maybe tens of thousands. Everybody's trying to push that limit. But with very small parts, uh, there's two things that are happening. One, the, again, the mold is not $25,000. It's typically an order of magnitude higher than that. Mm -hmm. So very high precision, very expensive, $250,000 mold. So that changes the math. Uh, and two, the contribution from materials in the final part is small because the part is small. Mm -hmm. So even if 3D printing materials are five times or ten times more expensive than injection molding materials, which they are today, and they may change, that may change over time, but even if there's a big difference there, it matters much less with small parts. And so some of our early prospects and customers are starting to do that math and say, hey, this, this should be interesting for 10,000 parts or 20,000 parts because that mold cost is high, and the material contribution as well. Now, and are so these materials that's, that's the, the same yep. as you would use for other DLP 3D printing systems? Or are uh, they different materials? There, there are. They're the same? Uh, they're generally the same. They're okay. generally the same. So we have uh, seven of our own materials that we developed, but we are open platform. So okay. we are sort of dance, dancing with the uh, with people like BASF and DSM and Enkel and Polyspectra and, and others, um, the same way some of our you know, other companies in, in the 3D printing space are doing the same. And so what, what's nice there is uh, if the material is developed and works on a, an, on a uh, origin machine or on an efficient tech machine, it'll probably work on our machine as well. So, so then uh, the accuracy comes from the, the DLP system itself. Right. So what's different... So, you know, a traditional DLP system, uh, a lot of them are bottom-up. Are, are bottom right. Uh, we're top-down. So, uh -huh. so the uh, light source is on the top. But then two things from a mechanical point of view, two things are there. One is uh, in between the light source and the, the resin is a is high-precision optic to get the high resolution. Mm -hmm. And then the XYZ stage, the movement, is also very high-precision. So a combination of the optics and the, the movement and then software and materials allows us to get parts 
down to, we have two systems. One is doing a optical resolution of two microns. The other is doing 10 microns. So that means you can get accuracy to sort of the 10 to 20 micron range. You can uh, do uh, very precise holes that are, you know, anywhere from 30 to 50 microns in diameter. And so that's typically beyond what is what the capability of the best of the other photopolymer systems are today. There's some other, um, I'll call them nanotechnology mm-hmm. that have been out there for a while. There's a, there's a German company called Nanostride, uh, and they're using a process called two-photon lithography, uh, and they've done very well. I mean, they, they're, they've got a certain uh, uh, niche in the market. There's some other people who compete with them, uh, and they can do hard sound at the nano level. And that's, you know, it's incredible. But if you, you know, we're focused on, you know, real industrial parts, uh, they're small, but they're still, you know, parts you can hold in your hand. Mm-hmm. If you were to use a nanoscribe machine and want to print a part, let's say the, the size of a, a coin, it would take a really long time. So, so their focus is much more in some optics uh, applications and research applications. Our focus, is, I'd say they're more focused in the nano level. We're very, very much focused in the, in the micro level of connectors, medical device, microfluidics, you know, parts that need that level of uh, resolution. Do you have any idea as to how large of a market this is going to be or, or is at the moment? Yeah, so we've sized it up. So if you take the four or five markets that we've looked at specifically, one is connectors. Like the connectors market today is about is about $80 billion. If Now, we're... There's plenty of connectors that are big that don't need us, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, even if we're to capture, you know, a few percent of that, you know, that's a, that's a multi-billion dollar market potential for us. You look at medical device, uh, the medical device market is similar in size. Again, if you size, you sort of cut that down to 5% of the components needed in medical device, whether it's uh, end effectors for robotic surgery or whether it's the, you know, tips to an endoscope. Is a great application because you know high precision optics, high precision. Uh, they need to be delivering uh, electricity and sensors. Those parts are really small. Those parts are disposable. You know that's again a, probably a, a, perhaps a two billion dollar opportunity for small parts. You get into markets like um, microfluidics or lab on a chip. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not a, an enormous market today. That's probably about a three or four billion dollar market today. But you look at 3D printing, and you could you can see that that could be could be a significant way that they make those in the in the future. Because making microfluidic chips today, lab on a chip, is you know, a pain in the ass. So they they mold, they etch, they then have to layer all these things together mm-hmm. with solvents and pressure, and it's pretty easy to 3D print them. So I think I think when we take all the all the those markets that I mentioned, and then you scale them down by saying, hey. You know, let's say 5% is accessible to us. You know, it's between, we say, total opportunity for micro 3D printed parts is somewhere in the sort of $5 million range. Very interesting. So I think you mentioned, or uh, the news release mentioned that uh, you already have some customers? Yep. We, we officially launched in North America and in Europe on Tuesday, which is mm-hmm. really the press release. We've been shipping uh, to customers in um, in Asia for about a year. We have a first uh, customer in healthcare in the United States uh, that we shipped to a couple months ago. We have two customers in Europe that we've already shipped to. So we, we do have a, 
you know, this is sort of off and running. I would say from a technology point of view, it's you know, the first version of the technology is shipping to customers today and they're using it. But from a commercial point of view, we're really just getting started. And this is the micro arch, correct? That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, this sounds like a very interesting uh, area for the additive manufacturing world. So I'll be curious to see how it how it continues. Yeah, I guess what most excited me about it was this segment of the market is pretty high value. A lot of these parts, even though they're very small, are, are very uh, high value, expensive. It, mm-hmm. As I said, it's, a, it's delivering either prototypes or production capabilities to processes that are difficult now. Mm-hmm. When I look at when I look at a standard plastic part, you know, the size of a coffee cup, that's pretty easy to be honest, that's pretty easy to make now using injection molds. I mean people know how to do that and it's pretty cost effective. When I see some of the new things that have come on the market with carbon fiber, you know, like uh, Mark Forge and a couple others over the last couple of years, I think that's interesting because carbon fiber traditional carbon fiber manufacturing is difficult. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, they're they're automating the carbon, you know, aside from, forget the fact that it's a 3D printer, they're really just automating the production of carbon fiber parts, mm-hmm. I, think, I think brings a lot of value. So in our case, we're, we're really trying to go after areas that are high value, like electrical connectors and medical devices that are difficult to make now. And I think 3D printing brings a lot of value there. That's an interesting uh, And, and, and uh, you know, just from a business point of view, it's not, at least right now, it's not crowded. <laughs> so the market, uh, you know, whether it's, whether it's desktop FDM machines or whether it's uh, metal sintering with powder, um, you know, as you know, there's been a crowd of, crowd of new entrants over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And so uh, from our own point of view, it's nicer to at least uh, be on our own, uh, at least for now. I mean, we expect they'll be comfortable. But that's an interesting perspective about the additive industry in that one of its benefits is tackling the high-value products and doing it probably pretty well and, and pretty cost-affordably compared to other options. Yeah, I mean, as, as I said, the carbon fiber uh, yeah. parts is a good example. I think... Uh, Small micro uh, area, uh, a few others. Micro areas like that, hip, uh, hip implants is like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, aside from being able to custom, customize, which is a nice benefit, you know, the, the traditional manufacturing method of machining titanium mm-hmm. is yeah. So, so if, if 3D printing can do it better than traditional manufacturing, then I think that has a, a much better chance to be adopted and a much better chance to be uh, of, of real value. Sounds good. Well, I thank you for joining me today, John. Um, that's really interesting, yeah, and I know you're at the show, so I hope you have a great show there. Thanks. It has been a good week. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. Keep in touch. Perfect. All righty. Well, thanks again, John. Okay.